um, and that is to seek God's wisdom. And God's wisdom has been revealed to us right here in the Word of God, and so um, that's kind of the the message. Um, it is the central theme, not just of this morning, but like it should be the central theme of the church, of our lives, of everything that we do. And so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, I just start off by saying um, that I am I'm humbled and honored that you guys have asked me to come back for another stint of, of preaching. I really um, enjoyed being with you guys over the winter, and I'm really excited to be here for the next however long, six months or long, who knows, I don't know. Um, but I will say one thing, is that uh, over the winter, you know, I, my, my role was to just kind of show up and preach, which is great, and I love doing that. Um, but being asked to be the interim pastor is a little more involved in the sense that um, I'm hopefully going to be helping the leadership team um, and the elders, you know, try and navigate through some of the things that are, you know, some of the, some of the issues that need to be addressed immediately, some things that are going to come up, some things. And so um, that compels me to preach uh, maybe in a different, in a different way. Um, and what I mean is that, like, if the Lord shows me something that is really strong or, like, that he is he's showing uh, maybe a problem or, like, what we see in Ecclesiastes, that there's a fly in the ointment, I feel far more compelled now in a different role to bring these things up before the church than I did before. I just thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach what God has in front of me. Um, but it's not, I had no, I, I, had, I had no inkling to step in and try and, and help things because you guys had that covered, right? And so... Um, I just want to tell you that, like, I'm probably more nervous and more scared right now to preach a sermon than I've ever been in my entire life. Because the Lord has laid some really heavy things on my heart that I think he wants me to speak to you as the church. And I don't know that you want to hear them. And I don't know if you, you may want to hear them. I don't know. But I'm just, I'm just telling you now that this, everything that I do this morning is coming out of love for this church, out of love for Bayfield and out of a desire to see this church grow stronger and stronger in the Lord, that the church would seek God's wisdom in everything that it does. Um, so with that being said, because I am not a confrontational person, and the Lord just laid a bunch of junk on me, and so um, I, well, here we go. Um, <laughs> so I would say last week I was here, and I got to hear Dave preach, and it was really good, and I walked away from that sermon thinking to myself, um, what is it exactly that the church is waiting on? Because you talked a lot about that, right? Out of Acts 1, we're waiting on the Holy Spirit. God called the disciples to go back and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so he kind of gave a message of like, this church, we need to be waiting. And so that was a question that was in my mind. What, uh, what is the church waiting on? And so I contemplated that deeply this week. I thought about it a lot. And I came to the conclusion... Um, I don't know, I don't know, I just, I, I, I've seen just a few things, um, and the answer, I think, to that question is, the reason the church is being called to wait is because there are flies in the ointment, and they have to be picked out. There is, as we see in verse 1, there's a little bit of folly. There's a lot of wisdom, and there's a lot of good things happening in this church, but there is small pieces of folly. There is little flies, dead ones in the ointment, and if the church is going to put out a fragrance that is attracting people in this community to the gospel of Jesus, we have to deal with those things. We can't just push them to the side. We can't try and cover them up and say, well, it's not a big deal. Like, ah, we're just going to keep moving forward. If, if you have started walking down the wrong path, and I believe in, in one very specific area this church has done that, 
the way to go on the right path is not to just keep going down the wrong path and think, well, hopefully this is going to meet up with the right one one day. No, it's to stop, it's to turn around and go back and figure out where the fork in the road was. Where did we go wrong? And let's go right. Now, if you're sitting here and squirming and thinking, who's this guy? I've only been here for three months. Like, what, what does he know? What is, why uh, the audacity to stand up here and start pointing out things in the church? Um, let, me just, let me just say a few things. The first thing is, um, the reason I see it is because I've been there. Because as a pastor of a church, I've led churches down the wrong path. Um, and I tried to do the really stupid thing and to keep, well, maybe it will just correct itself. Like, we'll just keep going and maybe we'll figure out a way instead of recognizing there was something wrong, turning around and saying, I've made a mistake. Let's go back. Let's just, let's stop right now. Go back. Go the right way. And so as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, I want you to know that I am doing this is with all humility. Like, I, once I, I've seen this happen in my own life in churches that I've been in charge of, ministries that I've been, that God has placed me in charge of, and I made these mistakes. And so the thing to say is that God is just as forgiving to the individual as he is to the church. And this doesn't mean that it's a bad church. It doesn't mean, it just means that, hey, we, we see the things. When we see the problems, when we see the folly, we can't turn a blind eye to them. We have to recognize them, and we have to fix them, and then move forward. So, one thing I'll say before we jump into this again, too. Back in February, I was actually planning to preach this passage. Um, I had, like, half prepared a sermon, and then that was the week that Colby resigned. And it's like, oh, well, maybe we should do something different, right? Maybe the Lord led me down a different path, and that's when we were in First Peter, and we're talking about submitting to elders. Um, and I just want to say, I, I bring this up because I think it's important for two reasons. First of all, um, I was also here the Sunday night when there was a, a discussion about, like, the preaching style, right? Um, there was a discussion about, whoa, should it be expository or should it be, um, should it be topical? And there's two things to say. Number one, preaching expositorily, this is God's word and it's living and it's active. And the thing that I prepared just a month ago, I didn't use any of it. Because 30 days ago, this church was in a very different place than it is right now. Right? I started reading and I thought, yeah, that might have been good a month ago, but it has no bearing on what is happening right now. But it doesn't mean that Ecclesiastes 10 is then somehow, like, it's not that what I was going to write or what was there before, where the Spirit had led me in the first time was wrong and this is right. Both of them are right. right? We, can, we can look at Ecclesiastes 10 right now in this moment and God can speak to us. In five years, you could come back and look at it again and God will speak to you in that moment too. And it will probably be a completely different message you'll get a completely different thing out of it. And so I say this because I say you don't have to preach topically if you're trying to address certain issues. Just open the Bible. Go passage by passage, right? God will lead the person, whoever it is, myself or whoever's filling in, to, to make application that fits what's happening in the church right now. If that weren't true... You should just download all, all of John Piper's sermons, right, and put them through the speakers. Because that dude is a million times better than me. But he doesn't know what's happening here in this moment at this church, right? If that's all you needed was someone to teach you the word, save yourself a bunch of money. Don't hire yourself another teaching elder, right? Just pipe sermons through the, through the speakers. But we recognize that that's not effective. That doesn't work. It's nice when you're riding around in your car and you're, hey, what does this passage mean? You go look, look up a specific sermon. But when it comes to the life of the church as a whole... 
God's word, it brings application out. And the second thing I will say is that the week after Colby left, what did we, we preached a topical sermon, right? I, di- I didn't stay in Ecclesiastes. So the point is, like, neither of them are bad. Topical sermons have their place, and they're good, and they can be really helpful, and they can be really important. But I just, I, I, I started sensing a little bit of conflict and animosity in that meeting. And I just want you to know, like, this is not a biblical mandate to preach expositorily. Both are good. The mandates of the Bible are preach the gospel, preach the whole counsel of God. Right? These are the things that we're supposed to be doing. It's easier to do in a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse sort of setting. But I just want you to know, if you felt a little bit eked by that, please, that, that's not something to, be in, to have strife over, right? It's just a preference. One is good. They're, they're both good. They both have their place. They're both important. All right, so... This brings us then to the text this morning, verse 1. The answer to the question of the sermon title, what exactly are we waiting for, is that once again, there's a little bit of folly. There's a fly. There's a dead fly in the ointment of the church. And the thing that is glaring to me that I have seen and not just gotten secondhand but gotten firsthand is that the way in which your elders were brought on board was not biblical. The Bible gives clear commands on how this is supposed to happen. There's supposed to be an examination process, right? There's supposed to be an examination by the church, by their fellow leaders, by their fellow elders. And I have heard not just from, but from both of the elders themselves, this was not done properly. In fact, it wasn't just done improperly, but it wasn't done at all, right? Um, so it's not like, oh, we tried, but we didn't quite get there. But like, it just, it just didn't, it just didn't happen. And I do not think that you can proceed and go about finding a preaching elder to come in until that dead fly is pulled, right? Till that folly is fixed and repaired. And what so? What does that mean? It just just means that you should go back and do the thing that you skipped, which is to just examine these guys and see if they're qualified. Because I don't know if they're qualified, right? I know that there needs to be an examination process. I will tell you this. You might look up here and look at me and say, well, we've been examining them. We've known them for years. We've seen their heart. We've seen all of this. But I know... That in the meeting where they were voted on, it was spoken out loud that at least one of them, maybe both of them, did not actually desire to do this. Do you know what the first qualification for an elder is in 1 Timothy chapter 3? That they aspire to be one. That they want to be one. Both of these men might check every other thing on that list, right? Not too much wine, right? They're a a husband of one wife. They're doing all of the things they're teaching. They're doing everything. But if they don't meet the first one, the aspiring, the wanting to be one, they're not qualified to do it. That's where I'm at. In my own personal life, a year ago, we closed the church down that I was preaching at, and I fell into this, like, deep, trying to understand myself sort of thing. Do I even want to pursue this ever again? And it's not because I was falling short, I think, on any of those other things. But for me, it was, do I want to do it? 
And I have not been willing to step back into an eldership until I answer that question for myself. It's the first thing you have to want. It's the first thing to do. You have to want it. If you don't want it, you're not qualified. So how does the church go about this? Well, once again, I think you just take a step back, right? Instead of continuing down the road, you say, look, we, we made a mistake here. It's okay. It was an unbiblical decision. And here's the thing. If you're thinking in your mind right now, well, we're going to lay the blame on one person's doorstep. You can't do that. There, there is one person, right, who probably bears most of the responsibility by pushing this in. But if they weren't qualified, the leaders had a chance to stand up and say, no, we shouldn't be doing this. And then before the church, the, you know the buck stops with the church on every major decision in the Bible. That's how the Bible has designed the church to operate. How does a member come into membership? They might be examined by the elders or by the leadership team, right? Are you a Christian? Tell me the gospel. You go through an interview, you go through a class. But at the end of the day, what happens? I don't, I, I'm assuming this happens here. I, the, but they come before the church, right? Is there a vote on whether this person is allowed to be a member of the church or not? That's how it works. What about excommunication? Somebody is removed from the church. That's a process. Somebody is living in sin, high-handed sin. They will not repent. They will not come back. And so they go, and the elders and, and the leaders, and they say, look, man, we see this in your life. You can't keep doing this. And they say, I don't care. I don't care what you say. I'm going to keep doing it. And you do that, and you, and, you, and you shepherd them for months and months, and you try. But at the end of that process, if you say, look, we have to hand this man over to Satan because he's no longer a believer, who votes on that? The congregation. Who votes on the elder being come in or not? The congregation. I'm not trying to poke you guys, but... In that meeting, the congregation should have rose up and said, no, thank you. This is not biblical. We cannot do this. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just, this is, this is the way the Bible commands us to do these things. So I'm not sitting in condemnation. I'm not standing here saying, I have the answers. You guys did it wrong. I'm just saying, I see it, right? I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping you guys have seen it too and that you're willing to say, look, we made a mistake. Let's go back. Let's go back to where we should and, and, and fix the things that we did wrong earlier. Because what you don't want to have is unqualified elders. And once again, I'm not saying that these men are unqualified. I'm saying that with no examination, how do we know? How can we know if, if they should be in the position or not? And once again, I say this. I really do. I say this with love. I, I want to see this church thrive, and I want it to grow, and I want it to be biblically sound. I want everything that you guys do to be in line and in step with Scripture. I'm not saying this because this is what I think. I'm saying this because this is what the Bible tells us. This is the, the method in which the Bible has commanded us to go through this process. If, you, if you're not familiar with Acts 6, it's like one of the main places where we get this idea Right? Peter and the disciples are sitting and they're teaching and someone comes up to them and says, hey, you know what? Um, some, of the, some of the widows, they're not being taken care of. And what does Peter say? It's not right for us to step down and do this. He stands before the congregation and he says, call out from yourself men to do this. Test them to see if they have wisdom and understanding. 
This is the call to the deacons, right? That's the men who are going to serve the physical needs of the church. This is what Peter says. You call them out. The church, the congregation is being called to nominate people. You see a man who you think, man, he, he, he exhibits all of the things that you see in 1 Timothy and Titus. I think he should be one. And then the leadership examines him. And the first question they ask, right, is that first, do you even want to do this? Because if they say no, like, okay, that's okay. No problem. We'll, we'll move on to the next person. And they're examined. And they're brought before the church. And the church has a, has a time to examine them. And if those steps are skipped, something went wrong. And what I mean is, once again, this church has a ton of wisdom. There are so many good things happening here and so many very intelligent, smart people and leaders in this church. But verse 1, what does it say? A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. That's not what you want. You don't want one little bad decision, one little unbiblical step to taint everything else that the church is doing in such a huge and important way. So the question, what are we waiting for? I think the church needs to fix this as quickly as possible, right? I think there needs to be time for, for people to be, to be nominated so that if want, when we go back and examine anybody and everybody, maybe these two guys, maybe they don't want to do it. Maybe they want to step down. I don't know. I don't know their heart, but that's the examination process, right? You ask the hard questions. And there might be other people who want to do it, who get nominated, right? I don't know. I'm, I don't know how it all looks like. Like, I think that is what is left up to your leadership team to try and figure this out. But I don't think there's any question that it was done wrong and there needs to be a fix. Let, let's let those guys figure out how to fix that. And there may be other areas of the church, right? I don't know. I, I, I see this. That's, I mean, that's just the only one that I know of. It. There may be other things that, that, that time needs to be given to them to, to recognize these things. We don't just want to pull one dead fly out. What if there's two or three? Like, let's grab them all, right? If we're doing it, let's do it. Let's get it out of there so that the ointment has a beautiful fragrance that it will attract the people of this community to this church, that they will hear the gospel, that they will love Jesus, right? But if, if it's giving off a stench, nobody wants to come, right? Nobody's going to want to come. And so that's what, that was the hardest part for me, okay? Just, I, I don't like pointing things out. I don't like pointing fingers. Or, uh, and once again, I'm not doing it because I think I'm right and you're wrong or I have all the answers. I've made all of these kinds of mistakes before. And so I just, uh, my prayer and my desire is to see you, this get fixed, that, we, that, that things can be changed. And I want to say this too, is that the gospel covers not just the sins in our own heart, but it covers the sins of the church, right? It, we are Christ's bride. Do you think he's going to look like, oh, they, look at that. They goofed up once, I'm done. He's filing divorce papers. Like, that's not how it works. Jesus loves you as his bride. He is your bridegroom. And he wants to bring you into the fold. Right? He wants to love you and forgive you and guide you and show you the right way in which to move forward. He's not going to give up on you. Just like he doesn't give up on you as an individual, he is not going to give up on this church. You are his bride. If you will let him, he will lead you. He will guide you down the right and good path. Second thing is verse 2. 
The wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, you might have been like, oh, that's a political statement, right? Where's the, where's the Democrat? No, it's not, it's not what it is, right? That's not what's happening here. It's not a political statement. What's that? Could we make, we probably could, yeah, yeah. But Solomon is saying, look, figure out what you're good at, figure out what you're strong at, and go that way. How many of you have ever tried to write your name with your left hand? Or your right hand, if you're left hand, right? The wrong hand, your, your non-dominant hand. It's like a first grader, right? Unless you're more talented than me, or try and throw a baseball with your non-dominant. I mean, if I throw a baseball with my left hand, like, I probably couldn't make it to the first row. But right-handed, right? I can throw it. I mean, why try and do something that you're not good at? Why try and overcome your strengths you look like a fool right we do it as a joke you write your name but what if you were actually like signing papers to buy your house and then you're like oh watch i'm gonna use my left hand to sign all the papers like everybody in the room would be like what's wrong with this guy that's not smart that is a foolish thing to do and so solomon is telling us figure out what you're strong at and pursue it now, all of these things, right, they apply to us individually, but they're applying to the church as a whole. Look, if you have a fly in your own life, pull that thing out. If there's a little bit of folly in your life on an individual basis, kill it. Get rid of it. Change your mind. Change your thinking to be in line with Scripture. And the same is true here. There are things that you are strong at, and you pursue those things, right? My dad was not a book smart kind of guy. But at the age of like nine, he watched somebody take apart an engine and put it back together, and he never forgot it. He's a mechanically-minded person. He didn't try and go to college or to go to get his master's degree, right? He did something that he was good at. He pursued the thing that he was strong in and put aside the thing that was unnatural to him. We're all called to do that, and this church is being called to do that. And so that's another thing that you're waiting on. Let the leaders and the congregation as a whole, what are you guys strong in? I'm going to point out Awanas, right, because I've been here for three months, and I've seen lots of different things that you, have got, you guys have done and put forward in the Awana program. That is clearly a strength that this church has. And as far as I know, there is no other church offering anything like this in this town, at least not something that is teaching the Bible. I'm sure there's lots of other Wednesday night programs for kids, but one that focuses on Scripture and says, we're going to teach the kids, we're going to give them memory verses, we're going to tell them the gospel. Because that's what's important, right? You can gather a bunch of kids together on Wednesday night and feed them sugar and let them run around a gym. That's not really helpful. It's fun, but it's not what the church is being called to do. So this one, as an example, Awanas is a strength that you guys have. I challenge you, every single one of you in this room should be involved in that program in one way or another. Open the throttle up, right? That's something you're good at. Pursue it with every ounce of energy that this church has. Maybe you don't want to come and teach. That's okay. Prep a snack, right? Maybe you want to come. I don't know how you guys do this, but I've seen this done before. And so uh, well, I've seen it done both ways. Uh, one way is that parents drop their kids off in the parking lot, never get out of their car. And it kind of, you never get to meet the parents, right? You never get to meet them. And so I don't know what you guys do. But like one thing that is really, really important, but it takes more volunteers, is that you make the parents walk them in. And then you have adults to engage the adults, right? To engage the parents, even if it takes six months to, like, learn their name and learn some things. But if you, even if it's a stranger, if an adult walks up and you're a volunteer and you stand there and you say, hey, I, this is my name. How are you doing? What's your name? All that. And then and if all you do is say, 
hey, is there anything that, that I can be praying for you this week? Are there, are there any struggles going on in your life or in your, your, your sons, daughters, whoever, life that you've brought in? Like, how can we be praying for you as a church? And they may scoff at you. Say, oh, nothing. I don't know. But even if there's one person out of 100 who says, you know what? I really need prayer in this one area. And you pray for them and you check with them. And then you're there the next week and they bring their kid in. You say, hey, I've been praying for you every day about this thing. How is it going? And you do. Even if that person is going to is going to recognize the love that this church has for the community. So that's what I'm saying. What, find ways. Find ways to engage in the ministries that this church is already doing that are super, super strong. And here's the thing. Don't try and do any that don't help. This is another mistake that I made. Let me do, when, when, we were, when we had our church here in town, instead of, recognize, instead of trying to see what the need was in Bayfield, I just had an idea for a ministry, but there was no need for it. It was a need that was unique to Durango. This is First Baptist Church of Bayfield, not Durango, not Ignacio, not anywhere. Bayfield, right? There's a whole set of needs that exist in this town that are different than all of the surrounding communities. When I lived in town, I used to live like less than a mile from here when I lived in town. And we had a neighbor, and I think for over a six-month period, we had invited them to come over for dinner like maybe three times. And I think after the third time, they were like, no, we do not want to come to your house for dinner. We are too busy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a problem. Like, it's not like we were like every week we wanted you. It's just like once. We just wanted you to come over for dinner one time. And that's what we were told. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, ah, I don't have time to go to small group. Or I don't have time to invest anything into Awana. Get less busy. These things are important. Your community, your fellowship with one another is important. If you, if, if, whether it be activities with your kids or activities amongst your family or work is keeping you from never being able to go to do these things or help out in these ministries, you have to cut things out of your schedule. They're more important. I promise you, Awanas is more important than baseball practice. I promise you it is. You might be looking at your kid and thinking, no, but he's going to play for the Rangers one day. He's probably not, right? He's probably, it's not going to happen. I don't know. I don't mean to crush any little kids' dreams. I'm sorry. That was mean. But we recognize, right, what is, it's far more important that when your kids leave your house that they are biblically literate than that they can throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. It's so much more important to do these things, to be teaching the Bible to your kids, to be involved with fellowship and with community within this church. This next verse tells us that if the if the church walks in foolishness, right? Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone, he is a fool. What is it to walk down the road? It's like an everyday thing that you're doing. It's nothing special. It's what we do all the time. And we don't because we have cars. But it's what they did. The most basic thing in your life is shouting to the world that you are a fool if you're pursuing foolish things. I don't think that one needs explanation, right? Individually, as a church, like, this is true. You can't pursue foolish things in your own mind, in your own heart, or as a church, because everybody will see it, and they will see you as a fool. And it's not just like we're saving your pride. Oh, I don't want people to think I'm dumb. I don't want people to think I'm a fool. Pursuing the foolish things is just, it's, it's anti-God. It's doing the thing, because pursuing things that are wise means that you are pursuing the Lord. 
And the last thing that I would ask you, and this is from verse 4 here, is to be patient. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Now, once again, I feel um, compelled to say something. And that is that um, I've heard there's sort of a sentiment, and it's not from everybody, but it seems to be there is a sense of bitterness about people who may have left this church within the last year. And my warning to you is that you should be checking that. If you have anger or bitterness towards anybody who has left, I think you should, I should, you should examine yourself and, real, and ask yourself, why is that there? Why is it coming up in me? Why is it there? Because here's the thing. Like we talked about out of 1 Peter, the Bible gives us a very strong command. Submit to your elders. You have to, right? You don't have a choice. And so if you find yourself in a church where you cannot do that, you should, you should address it, right? The Bible also gives us a method in which to address these things. You should go to the person which you have a problem with. Talk to them individually. Go with a group and talk to them. And if there's no satisfaction, if there's nothing, if you can't figure out a way to come together, there is a time and a place, if you cannot submit to the leadership and to the elders, you, you should leave. You should go somewhere where you can. You don't do it hastily. You don't be like, oh, that elder said one thing. I don't like that. I'm out of here, right? It's a long-suffering process. And that's why I'm asking, be patient. It's not just one thing or one, but if it's, 18 months of consistent, unbiblical decisions, and you think, I've gone to them, I've asked them about this. I've there is a time and a place where it is proper and fitting for Christians to leave a church and to go find another one. So once again, when we closed our church down last year, and we were in the weird, I was in the weirdest place. I've never, since I was 19 years old, I've just been in church ministry. So I, at 19, I was a freshman in college. I got a job as a youth minister. Um, they should have fired me like a hundred times over all the dumb stuff I did when I was working. I mean, you would be shocked at some of the, it's really bad. So uh, like, but they were, they were kind and gracious. But like at that age, until a year ago, it was almost 20 years, I just, I worked in a church. And of course, that's the church I was, a, I was a member of, right? That's where I went to worship. That's where I did all of my activities and all my fellowship. And so a year ago, my wife and I looked at each other like, oh no. How do you even do this? Like, you guys, I don't know how you, like, how do you do this? How do you, you know, how do you pick a church? I don't, I've never had to do it. And because before that, as a kid, I just went where my parents went. And so I just, I've never, I never had to do this. And so we looked at each other and we said, you know what? The first thing that we have to answer yes to is can we submit to the leadership within that church? If we can, then we can pursue membership. And if we can't, well, we're not even going to go. I mean, as a pastor here in town, I interacted with a lot of other pastors around here. I'd be, it would, it's embarrassing the number of times that I've asked the pastor, what do you believe about the doctrine of salvation? Which is a, a diplomatic way of saying, like, are you free will or election? Are you Calvinist or Arminian, right? Um, and it's embarrassing the number of pastors who said, ah, we don't, we don't worry about that. We just preach the gospel. We love our people. Theology, doctrine, nah. I was like, well not going to your church, right? 
The whole counsel of God, right, that we're supposed to be understanding. It's not to say that you have to have every single verse and every chapter figured out. But if you ever read something and you say, I don't understand that, and I don't care. And I'm not going to try. And I'm not going to pursue knowledge. And I'm not going to try and find an answer to that. You may be pr- trying to find that answer your whole life. I don't know. I still don't know what's going to happen at the end of this. I mean, eschatology, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I loosely hold on to one of the major three sort of ideas. But, like, I still don't know. I'm still trying to find more information about that one. And so, there is a time and a place. There is such, such, such thing as unhealthy pastors whom we should not submit ourselves to. And so I'm asking you, if you are holding bitterness or if there are things in your heart or if you're angry at somebody who has left, is it for the right reason? Because here's the thing. It's also possibly true that a lot of people left just because... Ah, I don't like that. I got, they got mad. They didn't go through the process, right? They didn't try and approach the elders. They didn't try and resolve anything. They just said, I'm done. I'm out. And they left. I don't know. And you may not know either. And that's the point. If you don't know why they left, if you don't know their heart, you can't, you can't be angry at them. You can't hold bitterness towards a person because they may have left under 100% biblical understanding of what it means to step away from a church. So I'm asking you, in fact, don't be angry, but do the opposite. Reach out to those people. If there are people, and you're recognizing that, you're recognizing there's a level of anger, there's a little level of bitterness, reach out to those folks. Try and talk to them. Try and see why they had left the church. Try and, uh, try and resolve if there's anything going on in your hearts or in your minds. Try and resolve that. So I'm asking you to be patient because what's, what's coming is going to take time. And this is why, for me, for my own heart and my own sake, I don't know what the future holds with this, but I'm willing to stick this out with you guys as long as you're willing to have me. Now, after this morning, you may be like, get out of here. Don't ever come back. And that's okay. It's not my prayer. That's not what I hope, but I'm here. And so I ask you, are you willing to not leave your place as a member of this church? Are you willing to endure some slow seasons or some things that you maybe don't understand because you know at least there's an effort being made to try and right the ship, right? To try and, to try and bring everything and every ministry and every decision that is being made within the walls of this church under biblical guidance. I'm willing to stick it out. And I'm not saying this because I want anybody to pat me on the back. Like, being here and being with you guys is coming as great sacrifice um, to to me personally and to my family. Um, I mean, I I have no other motivation than because I desire to see this church like, I, I just desire to help. I want to be here. I want, I want the, the, the leadership team to not worry about filling the pulpit every week. I want to help give any kind of information that I have to them about how they can find and notice these things and pick out and, and, and remove any folly. I just want to be here to help. I'm not here vying for this open job position. I have a job, which I love. 
and it pays me way more than I need. I'm not trying to get rich by being here, right? I'm not asking, like, you guys better pay me $1,000 a week or so. I, I, none of those. None of those things are happening. My only and sole desire is to be here and to help you with the limited amount of knowledge and stuff that I have. And really more than that is to just point you to the men who I know in this community who are way smarter than me. I mentioned them in my last sermon, right? But there are, there are at least two churches close by with men who have been serving as elders for more than a decade who have said, absolutely, we will give hours every week if that's what First Baptist needs in order to help them find and examine elders, in order to help them find these flies and pluck them out. They're willing to give of hours and hours of their time because they love you guys too. They want to see the church thrive. They want to see people come to the knowledge of the gospel. So I'm asking you, make a commitment. Seek wisdom and put away folly. Pursue your strengths and put aside your weaknesses in service to God as an individual and as a church. I challenge to you is examining yourself. Find where those strengths are and to use them. You see, the church is not going to be idle for the next six or eight or ten or however many months this takes. But there will be changes. There has to be changes, right? That's what reformed theology is all about. It's we are reforming constantly. We look at something in the church and we say, wait a minute. That doesn't seem like it fits the Bible. Reform it, right? Reform it. That's all that that is. Reform something so that it will be in more in line with Scripture. That word is scary to a lot of people I know. That's all that it is. Reform it. Be more in line with Scripture. Follow God more deeply. So I'm asking you, this morning, this week, ready your hearts. Pray that God will give you patience. Pray that God will show you your strengths so that you can help anywhere and everywhere within the body of Christ that God calls you to be. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for your word because your word is so much better than our understanding or our ability to understand. Lord, because left to ourselves, we make silly decisions. Lord, we make unbiblical decisions. We do things and then we look back and we think, why would, because we weren't being allowed to be led by you and by your wisdom. So Lord, I just ask for each one of us, for each of our hearts, Lord, that you would show us the folly in our own lives, Lord, that we can dismiss it, that we can put it to the side and get rid of it. And Lord, that as this church pursues this, this desire to fall under your will, to fall under your scriptural commands, Lord, that the church would be loving and kind and gracious and patient in this process, that they were willing to endure through whatever hardships this might bring along, but Lord, that the ultimate goal is to line ourselves and our church with your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.